Thank you, Justin. Good to have you with us uh, once again from Phoenix, helping us out in uh, about once or so a month. And uh, also, when I help you out, we have an outline that's available for you. You'll find this of great assistance as we go through God's Word this morning. I'm Dave Mitchell, and it's a privilege to be able to serve together with you here. And uh, we are in a series in the book of Galatians. Galatians, one of the books that the Apostle Paul wrote to an area of the world that we know as Turkey. I'll show you in a map in just a moment. But this morning, the emphasis, the topic, the title that we're going to emphasize is finding freedom from a fake faith. We don't want fakeness. We want authenticity, right? That's always a big value for us as well. I was intrigued by this uh, ad that I saw from Nordstrom's. They're selling these jeans. Their jeans are already dirty, so you don't need to get them dirty, but they're selling them. It's a real deal. And here is what they write in the ad about selling these jeans. Uh, They said, these jeans embody the rugged Americana workwear that's seen some hardworking action with a cracked, caked-on muddy coating that shows you're not afraid to get down and dirty. And uh, they're selling them for $425, $425. If you'd like to be able to say to people around you, I am getting down and dirty. Uh, I've actually got some jeans in my closet right now that show that I'm down and dirty all the time. And they got paint, they got holes. I mean, I got holes in my jeans I didn't have to pay extra for. Uh, They're so old, they have just holes in them. In fact, I was wearing a pair of jeans yesterday, and when I went like this, big rip right down the middle. And uh, actually went to the hospital to see somebody with those jeans. And, uh, well, enough said. And anyways, uh, so I just want to keep it authentic. They are the real deal, holes. Let's see. I'm a little off track right now. One of the things that happens that not only in Nordstrom's but in the church. Here's a guy. I appreciated this picture. He says, these are my church clothes. Sometimes we have this sense of what are church clothes? What should we wear? When I was first starting out here at Calvary Church 21 years ago, I wore two suits. I had two suits, dark and darker, uh, black and really dark blue. That was the uniform of the day. And uh, one of the first critical notes that I got here at Calvary Church. When I first began, like when that first year, people were really sizing me up, checking me out, and letting me know all my inadequacies. And uh, I love them for it because uh, I didn't want to become too proud, and they were making sure of that. Uh, But as I got those comments that came my way, one of the first comments I got is, Dave, your pants are too long. And so I knew that this is a church that cares about looking good up here. And so I'm, um, somebody actually thought these might be a little bit too long too after first hour. But there are certain ways, there are certain things that we have, certain standards that we create that we think these are the things that are really important and boy do I want to let you know what I think about that. Paul the Apostle is dealing with a topic that is similar in a very different culture, different times. In Galatians, if you have your Bibles, it would be good to have it in Galatians 2. We began Galatians 2 last week. This is really a continuation. It's sort of the same theme. I'm going to read just four verses, starting in verse 11, where the Apostle Paul is sort of explaining what's going on here. It's not always self-evident. Paul writes, But when Cephas came to Antioch, you see Antioch on the screen here. Antioch is this area in the southern, uh, in the part of Turkey that uh, uh, is displayed on the screen. This is, this is the location. So when Cephas came to, or this is Peter, the Apostle Peter, the great Peter, the Peter that stood for Jesus and, and the rooster crowed Peter and the first preacher of Acts chapter 2 Peter. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him. Paul, 
opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. Why was he condemned? What was going on? Here's what he says. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, James was the big leader of the church, Acts 15. He oversaw the council. He's the half-brother of Jesus himself. And so this is this mighty man of James. So Jews were coming from James, Jerusalem, and he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw, and he held himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision, the Jewish people, that is. And the rest of the Jews found him in hypocrisy. This is the apostle Peter, this great saintly guy, with the result that even Barnabas, even a more mature believer, Barnabas, was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So here's the backdrop. In those days, there was a group of people called the Judaizers. Judaizers were Jewish people who had converted to Jesus, but they wanted everybody to live like the Jewish people that had always grown up. They want them to live the way I had to grow up when I was a Jewish person, they're saying to themselves. So the Jewish people are saying to the Gentiles who are getting saved, if you really love Jesus the way we love Jesus, you'll now be circumcised, and you'll follow the laws of Moses and the dietary practices of those who claim the Torah as their guiding force. So these Jewish people who came to Jesus now want to impose upon the Gentiles standards that God said in Acts chapter 10 are no longer in play, but they haven't given them up. And we find that in the church today and a lot of believers today, we have these standards that we grew up with or we believe in. And we want to pass them on to the people that are following us. And I'm going to speak as my, in my age category, that there's a lot of us in my age category, sort of just above 35-ish. I'm 66, okay? I know, you're supposed to say, you don't look it. Okay, I won't force it. (laughs) If I have to beg, it doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm kidding. People like me in my age, we think, well, I grew up with that, so I think you have to grow up with that as well. And we, we create these fake faith standards we're going to talk about as we go through this. Let me jump into the text. Here's the first thing that the Apostle Paul talks about. He says, I need to be ready, you need to be ready to condemn any fake faith. We need to identify it and call it for what it is. When Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he had stood condemned. There's these two words that I love about this passage here. He opposed him. It comes out of this Greek word antihistamine. If you, have, if you have allergies, you're probably taking antihistamines. And what does an antihistamine do? It, it, it repels or it withstands those secretions of the sinuses and the nasal capacity so that you can really breathe and live a better and more comfortable life. Paul says, I want us to be like that. I want us to be a point of resistance to this fake faith that is coming into the church. He says, I don't want to stand for that. And then what you need to do, he says, I stand opposed to that, then I condemn it. Sometimes some of us see that word condemn and it seems like it's something I should be angry about. And I should have this wrathful attitude against it. And I'm going to condemn that. That's so wrong. Paul says, no, that, that's not what I'm saying. The literal word and literal meaning of that Greek word that he used there, condemn, means to know something by experience. 
And by my experience, I have learned that's just wrong. And I'm going to resist it. Let me give you an example. This goes back to my early years. In the 1950s, this is when this picture was created. This was used on a devotional by a a well-meaning ministry that would spread the gospel and the teaching of God's Word. And they used this picture in a devotional of a woman hoeing with this uh, pitchfork and a woman over here with her I Love Lucy. That was, that was the day when I Love Lucy was a big deal, and that's why she's got the big thing on her head like that, with a dress sort of looking askance at this woman. Well, when a dear saint, I'm sure loves Jesus as much as we love Jesus, saw this picture, they complained about it. What do you think they complained about? Somebody say pants. There you go. That's the evil little thing right there. Here's what they wrote. So this helps you to understand. This is the 1950s. This is sort of what I grew up in. We have greatly enjoyed your devotional for a number of years and have never seen anything that would warrant a breath of criticism. For this reason, I know that you will allow me to mention the picture in the last issue of the girl in pants. As the devotional enters thousands of homes, it might give you an impression that you put a seal of approval on this custom. We know that this modern style, centuries old and not approved of God, has allowed much crimes and personal sin to be indulged in. It has dulled the fineness of women's modesty and opened the door for smoking and other evil habits. Our Sunday school papers and many forms of Christian literature have adopted this kind of illustration. It grows more difficult daily for the church and the world to remain apart. So ladies, if you wear pants, you are the reason for crime You are the reason for personal sins. You probably smoke, and you probably have a lot of other evil habits. We would save the world a whole lot of trouble if no women would ever wear pants again. My, what a wonderful place this would be. Well, obviously, I'm having fun with that. But here's something I want to say on top of that. We look at that, but in that day, those people really believed what they wrote. And there was a lot of people that read that and, right on, brother, right on, boy, we need to keep these women from wearing those evil pants. That's what they believed. And we look back now, how many years, 60 years later? At least I look back 60 years later. Sorry. But we look at that, we just think, this is, you got to be kidding me. And here is what Our concern is for today. And this was Paul's concern 2,000 years ago. We can't even believe 2,000 years ago they were quarreling whether they should keep the dietary laws of of the Torah. Well, yeah, it's crazy. We can't believe that they had to worry about wearing pants. That's crazy. So for us, when somebody preaches at this stage 50 years from now, what will they look back? What will they see in us? And they say to themselves, why were they so uptight about that? How do they lose their way on that issue? 
and they will snicker. But good grief. Get over it. Move on. This is where Paul wants us to land today, to find those fake convictions and standards and behaviors that are being used to judge and condemn and oppose and to rid ourselves of them and and to live in the freedom that God wants for us. So I need to acknowledge, what are those areas of compromise? What are those things that that are part of the fake faith of our world today? came across this video. If you know the TV show House Hunters, HGTV, well, there's a video out there called Church Hunters, and it pokes a little fun at people and what they want in a church, and in so doing, exposes some fake faith. Take a look and listen. Nick and Molly just moved to the city and can't agree on what they want. They are young and energetic and looking for a new church home. We'll take some personality tests, tour the sites, ask some questions, and based on taste, experience, and location, we'll find them the perfect congregation. I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters. We're so excited to find a church. We just started dating. Um, with the churches we go to now, just not, like for us, just not really doing it for us, you know? Right. I, I go to a satellite campus. I just find it hard to connect emotionally with a video screen. It's just... Okay, you cry during Cake Boss. So, like, we've been doing a lot of services online, a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of preachers we do like. Really good, but we want, we want serious yet funny. Yeah, like commanding of the stage yet relatable, you mm-hmm. know? We're more looking for uh, the humor of Andy Stanley with the body of Stephen Furtick. Hey, guys. What's happening? I'm Corey. Good to see you. My name's Nick. This hey, is Molly. Hey, guys. Welcome to Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. So while it is traditional, it's still pretty current. Just okay. this year, the pastor started untucking his shirts. Oh, Ooh, that's wow. good. He does dress his age, though, so don't worry. He's past the Osteen suit phase, but he hasn't gone full Giglio yet. Okay, so he's holes in the knees or no? Well, it's frayed, but no holes. Frayed, no. Okay, got it. Perfect. So, hey, let me show you around. Okay, let's do it. I do love this lobby. It's a great lobby. You know, it's not too big, not too small. There should be enough room to catch up, chat with your friends. But here's a great thing. There's a bunch of side exits, so if you need to leave early and catch the game, you can do that. Got it. Yes. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. No, I... First Baptist? Who names a church that anymore? I just... Not these days. We're looking no. for like a Thrive Church, maybe Relevant Church, I don't know, Radiant Church, something. This is the soundboard they use here. Okay. Now remember, it's pretty traditional here. So when Sunday comes around, they turn it way down low. Got it. <laughs> yeah. But the one knock on this church, they still use the child care numbering system on the screens. Ooh, oh. for the yeah. Or as the moms like to call it, the Sanctuary Walk of Shame. Yeah. <laughs> the Sunday morning experience was just... A little too traditional for, for us. us. I mean, the pastor's main point, 157 characters. I can't tweet that. I really think you guys are going to love this place. I like we it. We do. We like Feels it. Great. Yeah. You know, it's diverse, but it's not like too diverse, you know? Uh, um, Scripture-heavy sermons? Oh, or, yeah. yeah. Yeah? What about, uh, is it community-oriented? Absolutely. Great. Oh, women in ministry? The parking situation, you guys got to see it. It's super rare nowadays. It. Come with me. It was like a, a maybe for when my parents we'll come into town yeah. for a church for Christmas, Easter type of church. Like a holiday, holiday type church. One of the main reasons that I love this church for you guys is that on your personality test, Molly, you scored high in service and hospitality. Oh, babe. And there's wow. a great welcome team you could join. Perfect. Okay. And then Nick, you scored really high in need for accountability. 
Wow. And the men's groups here are amazing. You just, you just can put that out there? Hey, just God like knows that? your heart, okay? On the next episode of Church Hunters. I think you're really going to love this place. They take relevance to a whole new level. This church identifies as inter-denon-denominational. This pastor speaks out of a brand new translation. It's the Tumblr Bible. You'll notice I am untucked uh, this morning. I figured I'd extend my life ministry by at least five years by from now on untucking. And maybe next Sunday wear jeans with little frayed holes right there. I've got them already, so why, why not? You get the idea. Here's someone trying to choose a church, and they got all these fake standards by which they determine if a church is good for them. There's always a greener grass mindset out there. It's got to be a better, better, you know, the body of Steve Furtick. Have you ever seen Furtick on TV? Yeah, he's got a great body. But is that, is that, am I jealous? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that that's the standard. Anyways, you get the idea. So acknowledge, acknowledge the compromised nature of this fake faith. Here's what Paul says. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, the leader of the church of that day, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, so here's what happens. So the Jewish people show up, and he begins to withdraw from the Gentiles because the Jewish people are going to criticize Peter for hanging out and eating with Gentiles. He didn't want to be criticized. He wants the Jewish leaders to think highly of himself. So he holds himself aloof. He removes himself from the very people that he's supposed to be reaching out to and loving. He was fearing the party of circumcision. He was fearing the Jewish leaders. So here are some practical things, four quick ones that come out of that passage, that one verse right there. I need to avoid fake faith because compromised fake faith is when I begin to change my convictions to keep my prestige or position with certain people. I want people to like me more, value me more, so I will change my convictions so that they will accept me. That's what Peter was doing. I'm not going to hang out with the Gentiles because I want these Jewish people to really think well of me. I'm going to go back to this, uh, what I call our my unity pyramid. Uh, Eric introduced us to it last week as well. And there are truths that today that are foundational. They are things like the deity of Christ. He's fully God, fully man. That Jesus Christ died as a substitute for my atonement. He took my place on that cross to pay for my sins. Jesus is coming back a second time. Those are foundational truths. The Bible is inerrant, has no mistakes, and the whole book is worthy of our trust, and we should study it vigorously and apply it to our lives. Those are foundational things. Supplemental things might be the kinds of songs that we worship with on Sunday. We have a song that we just sang, This is my Father's World. It doesn't matter if it's an old hymn or a new hymn. Or oceans. We, we have an opinion about certain songs. Or maybe, maybe we like country western. Maybe we like southern gospel music. Maybe we like more contemporary. We want, want hip-hop. Whatever it may be, those are all variations of things that we can all agree to either like or not like. Dogs or cats, we can agree to like or not like. Incidental, how I feel about anything. Jeans, tuck, untuck, length of hair, tattoos, earrings. Who cares? Who cares? But sometimes we think these things and we move them down here. And we begin to fight over things that God says, you know what? It's just not important to me. 
And I don't know who you think you are, that you can place that in such a high position. And so I need to understand that when I begin to change these things down here that are foundational to what I believe and what God says, when I change those to be liked by people, I've got a big problem. And that's a fake faith. Because I'm just driving my faith by those who I go to school with, those that uh, are in my neighborhood, those that I work with, and they hear, oh, you believe that? You believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? And then I get criticized for believing something that is so exclusive that only Jesus is the way to heaven? And I say, oh, well, you know, yeah, I I guess there are other ways too. I guess, you know, there's other good religions. There are many ways to God. And I begin to compromise for the sake of prestige and position and valued by other people. That's a fake faith. Then we also know that a fake faith is driven by this. When I withdraw from certain classes of people to avoid criticism. I don't want to be with those Jewish, uh, Peter was saying, I don't want to be with those Gentiles because therefore I can avoid the criticism. I need to understand that there are certain groups of people that I should never, I should never uh, withdraw from them. Let me just speak to my own age category, and I think that some of you do a better job at that than people in my age. There are certain groups of people that we sometimes want to avoid. I think about uh, the, on the uh, world today, there are those that uh, have battled whether they should make a cake for a gay marriage, whether they should prepare a flower arrangement for a gay marriage. And so therefore they have taken a stand to remove themselves from that. They've been sued. Some put out of business. And I'm thinking to myself, why... Why would I withdraw from certain people because of certain behaviors? When Jesus dined with sinners, the Pharisees are the ones that got on his case. If Jesus is dining with sinners, is he endorsing the sin of the home owner that is hospitable to him? No, he's not. Because you've got to reach people to make Jesus known to people. And so therefore, when I look at things like going to a gay marriage, I think of it as supplemental to the foundational gospel truth. Foundational to me is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Supplemental are those ways in which I can express it. And for people who move that and then withdraw from certain people because of their behavior, I say, why? We need to reach everyone. Fake faith is when I cover up my conduct out of fear that others will judge me. For example, you go to the big chart here. And so I don't want to change my behavior because someone's going to take offense. There are certain things that I give offense in. There are certain things that people take offense. I never want to give offense unnecessarily. But when I say things like Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, when Jesus says, I am the only, the truth, and the life, nobody goes to the Father but through me, that's exclusive, as I just said, and people take offense at that. Paul says the gospel, Jesus Christ died, buried, rose again for sins on my behalf, and he is the only way by which I can get to heaven. Paul says that's offensive. And so people are going to take offense at that biblical truth. But I don't change it because they're going to take offense. Now, when I get up to here, supplemental and incidental things, I don't want to give offense. I'll say this, and let's say uh, 
we're hearing a lot, if you read the news like I do, President Trump, that'll stir a lot of emotions in a lot of people. Some good, some bad. I don't want to be the one that says, okay, I hate President Trump because he's got policies I completely disagree with, and the guy's a crude jerk who treats women terribly. Now, what do I do with that? Okay, so Michelle, you you agree with me right there. Okay, that's fine. But I'm going to get in trouble if I make that a foundational thing. Because I don't know what God says about that. I know there are aspects of that, okay, right? Treating women crudely, that's, that's a terrible thing. But when I begin to make my hatred for or my love for a president of the United States is a foundational truth by which I will never change. And that becomes the pivot by which people will relate to me. I've got a big problem. If I make certain standards that are supplemental the basis of giving offense, I've got a big problem. Because I don't want to give offense to anyone. Whether it's going to a gay marriage, support of or opposing a president, illegal immigrants, for, against, building a wall. It's all up in here. God doesn't speak to those things. So why would I make things that God says you have freedom from that? Why would I make it a basis of something that is gospel-oriented? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the reason that you and I breathe and live every day so that people can know that. I don't live for a wall or no wall, a president or no president. A United States or no United States. I don't live for those things. I live for this stuff. And I don't live for whether a song is a hymn that was written 100 years ago or whether it's a praise chorus that was written last week or whether songs are driven by certain instruments or not. It's all up in here. These are the things that we'll never sacrifice. Up here, man, I'm all flexible. I don't care. Whatever you believe, I'm not going to get hung up on that. Let me go on. When I create false standards and I try to cause other people to do it, I'm not going to go to that. But you read Matthew 23. Jesus got all over the Pharisees for saying one thing and making everybody else have to do the different things. And so we don't want to do that. I need to understand there are terrible consequences to this hypocrisy that we sometimes will live in. I'll say I can be that way. And there are terrible consequences that Paul points out. Notice even Barnabas. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. When a pastor preaches a certain message on adultery, then the pastor is the committer of that adultery. we got major problems that has ramifications everywhere. If I as a parent am putting standards down on my children that I myself do not keep, I am creating a broken, fake faith in their hearts. I need to live a life that is pristine in terms of consistency. Here's one thing I like to throw out there. If you're insistent on a standard, you better be consistent on that standard because otherwise you're causing the downfall of certain people because even Barnabas, this great, great leader, he fell into this trap of a fake faith where he says, okay, I'm not going to hang out with Gentiles either because, oh my goodness, those people might criticize me. Paul says, God says, That's craziness. Don't live your life like that. 
Remember what's core, and this is where Paul then takes us to. I need to correct any false belief and return to the truth of the gospel. This is the standard by which we should be judged. Galatians 2.14, but when I saw that they were uh, not straightforward, not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in the presence of all of you, look, you guys, he got on their case. It's personal. He gets to his face and says, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, well then why are you compelling the Gentiles to live like Jews? Why are you imposing your hypocrisy on others? Paul says, look, remember what is, what is the truth of the gospel. Be straightforward with it. I love this word, orthopodia. Ortho means to be straight, like you go to an orthopedic surgeon. And you got a curvature of the spine or a broken leg. You want that guy or girl to put that baby straight. And then podia comes out of the Greek word for feet. Straight feet. He says, I want you to be a straight-footed person. Isaiah talks about don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right, but go straight. Kind of a funny little thing to help me to remember this and help you to remember it is this. My dad in his last year of life, uh, was at an age where we were trying to figure out how do I get the keys to the car away from him. And if you've not reached that age yet, someday you will. And man, it's, it's a pain. It's hard. It's very hard. That's why I plan to ride my Harley until I'm 95 because I want to drive my girls nuts. And so we've got those standards like that. So my dad, I came over to see them over in Phoenix. And uh, I looked at the front of the car and it was all banged in. I thought, Dad, what happened to the car? He says, well, I was going down the road, and there was this construction area. And then there was a road that went to the right, and there was a road that went to the left. And I didn't know whether I should go to the right or to the left, so I just went straight. <laughs> and he rode right over the construction zone, and he smashed in the front of the car. I thought, what I love about my dad is that he's a straightforward kind of a guy. <laughs> Literally, but spiritually as well. I feel blessed that I have a father who's in heaven now who let me know, Dave, don't go to the right or the left, but spiritually, would you stay straight and aim for the truth of the gospel? That's foundational. Now, to help us to think about this more specifically, I got some real specific applications I just want to rattle off for you. Number one, we need to be warned that even the most mature believers, even myself, I will be caught up in my hypocrisy at times. And I'm so thankful for my daughter, Jessica, because she loves to point it out. <laughs> you, need, you need adult kids to point out your foils. Secondly, we must believe what is true, but also remember to live that truth authentically before other people. Peter believed that it was okay to hang out with Gentiles. I mean, he got the big vision in Acts 10, 11. You get the big revelation. Eat anything you want, Peter. It is all permissible food now. But he believed that, but he wouldn't practice it. So make sure your faith is authentic, not fake, by covering up foundational truths. And that it's acceptable to adjust the way you live, to not offend people unnecessarily. First Corinthians 9, Paul says, look, to the Jews, I'm going to be a Jewish. To the Gentiles, I'm going to be Gentilish." To all people, I'll be like them that I might win some to Jesus Christ. I need to be flexible. So here's my flexibility 
passage. If you're older, elderly like me, if you're elderly like me, don't look down on the youth. Don't diminish them in any way. I'm here to tell you, I was telling the, the, the band uh, that's leading us in worship today, and a number of them are 23, 24, and I love them. There was a day when I was growing up in the church, we would never have a 23-year-old leading us in worship. They had to be like 50 wearing a suit and know how to swing their arms to 4-4 four, four beats of a hymn. You can do that, you're in. So don't look down on those. I value that when the day comes that I'm dead and my cremains are in a Uban coffee cup in Jessica's closet somewhere, I want the next generation to continue with the faith. That's what we're going after. So if you're older, don't look down on young people. If you're younger, don't look down on us gray-haired, balding, who are losing body parts every year. Until you spend time and hear the stories, the stories of experiences that are amazing, how God's called us to faith in Jesus Christ. If you're older, don't condemn young people because you walk into Chipotle and everybody's doing this thing on their phone and trying to figure out, like, oh, what's wrong with these young people? They don't even know how to talk anymore because they're always on their devices doing those newfangled things that they're in their hands. Don't make snide remarks about them. Don't talk behind their back. Texting, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, all those, they're probably communicating more to their friends' stuff than we probably do when we sit there and try to talk to our wives who've been married to for 40 years. Candidly. Sometimes there's more conversation going on those texting than verbally between a 40-year marriage. Don't look down on either one. If you're younger, don't look down upon us old people because we don't always get Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and Messenger. And we can't figure out how do you keep up with all those places to find and check out. I'm exhausted trying to keep up with email. <laughs> and then I'm told that a lot of young people don't use email anymore. And they go, oh, my goodness. But just be patient with us. Learn from us. Let us learn from you. Let us build relationships that go to the foundational truths, not the incidental things that just won't count in another generation. If you're older, be open to new styles of music. Be willing to say that the music that you grew up with is probably not the music that is relevant and worshipful for a lot of people today. When I was growing up in the church, we had a piano and organ. We had no drums. You ask, why no drums? Because drums have a beat. This is what I was told. Drums have a beat, and music with a beat makes you dance. And if you dance, you're going to have premarital sex. <laughs> that was the logic. I was told that when I was a kid. So I figured, well, if we get rid of all drums, nobody will have, pre have premarital sex anymore. That fixes it. It's, just, it's like pants on a woman. It's crazy. If you're younger, would you learn some of the old great hymns that have withstood this test of time? that have a theology and a depth of biblical truth that has helped me to remember and learn 
theological things about my Father in heaven, and that maybe, maybe they're not where you listen to on Monday or Tuesday. Maybe they're not on your iTunes, but maybe they are areas that you could grow in as well, because there's different styles. I grew up, you know, I appreciate the, the church is in a lot better place than when I grew up, because when I was in church, it was a piano and organ and hymnals, and I just, I, I never, those songs, on Monday morning, here's, here you go, this is relevant. On Monday morning, I would listen on the way to high school, KRUX. Who was on KRUX playing these dastardly rock and roll songs, I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles? And you know why that was wrong, because holding hand leads to premarital sex too. <laughs> but I would listen to those songs, I would listen to Lucky Lawrence, and I've told you this, who is Larry Wright, who is the grandfather of Justin Unger, Unger you're going to hear on the piano in just a moment. That's the music I would listen to. Now you can hear the same, almost the same style of music here on Sunday mornings. I didn't get that. If you're a man, would you treat women with the same honor and respect that you would, retreat, that you would treat Jesus Christ himself? That you would honor them? We have a president that said crude things about women. Don't you ever say that. Foundational is to love them as Christ loves them and honor them as people of great value and worth. So honor them that way. Don't diminish them. No jokes, no slams, no diminishing. Don't worry if they're wearing pants. If you're a woman, would you extend grace to some of us men that sometimes we say stupid things that sound demeaning, sound sexist, Sounds stereotypical. And we probably don't mean it that way. Because sometimes we just say stupid things. And so give us some grace. I appreciate a wife that sometimes I'll say stupid things. And it's not because I wanted to put her down. It's just stupid. So for all of our stupidity, give us some grace. If you're of another culture... You're talking to someone with a different culture. We may say something that to you is offensive. And as a lot of us, when we say those things, we don't mean it. We don't mean it that way. We're sort of learning what's the language, what's the terminology, what are the ways in which we communicate that and we just got a long ways to go to learn. So I'm asking us on those areas that are incidental and supplemental that we extend grace so we can live in the realm of unity on foundational biblical truths of loving one another. And we need to remember this last thing. Let me wrap up. We need to be willing to engage with every person because God loves them all. Don't withdraw like Peter to the Gentiles because you may miss the opportunity to present the gospel to them. There are people who have behaviors and lifestyles and attitudes and even external expressions that are harder for me to relate to. And you may look at me and say, you're harder to relate to. I get it. All I'm asking is what I think Christ is teaching us is that we need to love everybody, no matter who they are, what they are, 
where they come from, what they've done in their past, what they currently believe in, what their convictions are and how they live out their lives. It just doesn't matter to God until we get to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, can't, I cannot relate to someone I withdraw from. I cannot relate to someone that I'm aloof from as Peter was aloof and withdrawing from the Gentiles. I cannot bring Jesus to people that I withdraw from. I can bring Jesus to people that I go and love them. And if Paul could summarize this whole thing, he would say to Peter, Peter, just love them. Just love them. Because you need to bring the truth of the gospel, and they won't hear the gospel if you don't love them. So whether you're old or young, whether you're gay or straight, whether you're from Mexico or Canada, or whether you like loud rock and roll worship or you like This is my father's world soft with an organ in the background. We're supposed to love them all and not use those standards to base whether I love someone or not. God invites us into that world to get rid of the fake faith and that authentic Christ-like figure to embrace one another lovingly. As we continue to worship, Justin and his group is going to come up here and lead us in that worship. But as we do so, would you remember the foundational truths of the gospel? The gospel is symbolized in the bread and the cup, the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Those things unite us. Whatever songs we now sing, great. If they bring it to the feet of Jesus and we come to the elements of Jesus, and we give our offering in the buckets. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be over here to the left, and if you'd like to pray with someone over here, there'll be somebody over there. We'd love to pray with you as well. But let me pray for us as we enter into this time of worship. Help us, Father, as we gauge with you now that we would honor you with who we are and what we're all about, that it's all about Jesus Christ, the gospel. It's not about a lot of extraneous things that sometimes we build relationships around or the extraneous things that drive us from relationships. God, help us to remember what you think are important. And a lot of things, God, I know that a lot of things that I thought were important 20, 30 years ago, they're not important today. God, help us to focus on those things that will be important for eternity and let those things drive us to the people that you love. That, God, we would not be hung up on those temporal, temporary convictions that never stand the test of time. God, thank you for Jesus, that his love for us has spanned for 2,000 years, and we want to continue with that as we come and worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.